Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years' experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to talk about three reasons why I think your church can and should multiply itself with a new congregation at least in the next three to five years. I believe that church multiplication is a biblical mandate for every congregation, for every leader to be thinking about. We need to really think about why we do this and and why it's important. And, you know, form follows functions, values beget vision, not the other way around. The great function of the Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. You might really summarize this as everybody on earth ultimately praying, Thy will be done. And so, regardless of whatever forms we choose, we must be faithfully committed and good stewards of Jesus' command to go, make, and teach in the Great Commission. The bullseye of these action words is surrender to the Lord Jesus that produces transformed lives. And, you know, a lot of churches are, are into an add and grow mentality. They, they want to get bigger, and for a lot of reasons, sometimes they're financial reasons. Uh, sometimes it's just a, a heart for the Great Commission. They want to win people to Jesus, and they think that adding and growing is the best way to do that. But we understand that a church that has an add and grow and multiply mentality is going to impact the world in a lot greater way than a church that just sits in one place and, and grows large numbers. And so we see churches that seek to optimize the teaching dimension of the Great Commission while failing and falling short on the go and make disciples bit. You know, we kind of get this idea of we'll get somebody to come into Christ and then we'll disciple them inside the church. That really flies in the face of go and make disciples. The idea being that you go someplace and you start making the disciple there, that we would mobilize our members to do ministry wherever and whenever, but ultimately that it's going to result in more churches because, I mean, simple logistics would tell us that we have to have more churches if we're going to reach more people or more different people groups as we go our way and do the thing that we are called to do. And uh, a church that wants to multiply must really holistically uh, see an intersection of all three commands to go, to make disciples, and then to teach them to obey. And of course, the baptism element has got to be a part of it, or we're not going to have people declaring themselves to Christ. But I want to just begin to think a little bit about the Jerusalem church and and the fact that they didn't really go anywhere. You know, you, you read the first few chapters of Acts and it's all about the church in Jerusalem, which really functioned as an addition model church. They, they were attracting a lot of people, a lot of miracles going on, good teaching apparently from what we read in Acts chapter 2. But they became a mega church and they remained that, starting with the day of Pentecost until persecution began to rise with Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 8. Even then, you read that all except the apostles, who were the original ones who were commissioned to go, all except the apostles fled Jerusalem, the apostles stayed behind. And they were probably very courageous people, but I have to say that this is nine years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and and this makes them disobedient, courageous people. And 
So, you know, this whole idea of the Jerusalem church being a mega church is interesting. It's attractive. I can remember as a young person, when I first began to really interact with the book of Acts, I was just amazed at the the growth of the church, you know, a couple chapters in, you read there's 5,000 people plus women and children and, and, you know, numbers of disciples are multiplying everywhere. And yet there's no church multiplication. They were an inward focused congregation. Jesus had told them right from the very beginning that they were to focus on the world. They were to be outward and they were to go places. And, and it, it really comes to where you get to Acts chapter 11 and the church being formed in Antioch by some of those people who ran away from Jerusalem and uh, ran in fear. But wherever they went, they did the thing that got them in trouble. They preached about Jesus and they get to Antioch. Some of them are still a little inward. They preach, but they preach only to Jews. And and then some people cross the line and they begin to speak to people from other nations. The church back in Jerusalem kind of, I believe, freaks out, don't know quite what to do with it. They send Barnabas, who's a Jew who grew up in a Gentile country, which makes him a cross-cultural person, which, I mean, to me, those people are gold. I'm always looking for people with one foot in, in, in my middle-class church culture and another foot in another culture, subculture, whatever, in America. And so they send Barnabas, and Barnabas decides it's a good deal and reports back. And to their credit, the people in Jerusalem accepted that, endorsed the church, and and then the story changes from there. The Jerusalem church is is mentioned in Acts chapter 15. It's mentioned a couple of other places where the churches that were out there in the Gentile world had to send funds back to the Jerusalem church because they were hurting and uh, there's some good reasons for that. Everybody sold everything. There's no capital base in the church anymore and everybody else has to come alongside and support. But as you read the rest of Acts, I mean, three quarters of the book of Acts has uh, Paul's name in it, either Paul or Saul. But he's there, and I believe it's because he did what Jesus asked us all to do. And that is that he went, and he made disciples, and he taught them to obey, and he planted churches. And so this thing is really a missionary story. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's a missionary commission. In the Great Commission, it's a missionary commission. And then as you get into the book of Acts, and you get into the, to the real fundamental guts of the thing, it's a missionary story. And I look at the Jerusalem church as a as a mega church that almost accidentally planted churches. And, you know, I see that happening today. I see a lot of churches, big or small, that kind of accidentally plant churches. The church splits. That's the way that a lot of churches have been planted in America. There are, you know, the multi-site phenomenon has been incredible and it's been good. But some churches are beginning to divest themselves of their sites. And so, in a way, they're kind of backing into church multiplication. I have a friend who did this very, very effectively. He did the site thing, and, and then he intentionally decided, I'm cutting these guys loose. We're going to make them into churches very, very successfully. So this thing can be done. It can be done by anybody. It's pretty easy to do. But, you know, when we really get into church multiplication and, and how it looks and how it works, I think that you have to deal with Paul and Barnabas in Lystra and Derby. You know, they go into the city, and they, they're well-received, and then everybody turns against them. Some people come in and attack them, and Paul is stoned and left for dead, and then they sneak back into the city, and the Bible says that they went on preaching, and it, it says when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, 
encouraging them to continue in the faith. And then it says this, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I believe that the business of transforming a disciple into an elder is the process of planting a church. A church needs leadership, and it needs biblical, godly leadership, and we have standards for that in the Bible. But, you know, it's one thing to be a learner, to be a disciple, to be someone who's following along and gathering and gathering and gathering. It's another thing to be someone who's responsible over. And, you know, we see these words overseer and presbyterus and the shepherd. These people, as they are identified in this particular leadership role, a church is born. And they had to be bivocational because there wasn't a lot of funding going on, and we don't read anything about that. We read about it in the Jerusalem church. They had numbers. We don't read about it in the villages out here. And this is something that we can pick up. We can find ourselves appointing elders from among our disciples. Every church has a few people who would be capable of pastoring a few people. Maybe not a big church, maybe a micro church, but they'd be capable of reaching into that little subculture. I have a friend right now who just uh, left a job in, in one of the ma- major mega churches in America to go plant a church in San Clemente, California. And he started in a mixed martial arts studio. As I talked to him the other day, he's got like uh, 12 people showing up in his meetings, 13 people, sometimes there's 20 of them in all. And they range from a man who just retired as a police chief in a Southern California town to some pretty rough guys with tattoos all over their heads. This is this little subculture, this group of people that have gathered around this, what they call a sport. I'm not sure that I would call it that, but have gathered around this thing and they've become a subculture and he's beginning to penetrate that subculture. We've got a lot of people in our churches who could do that if we'd begin to get it in our mind that it's more important for them to go than to come. It's more important for them to reach into the community than to do ministry inside of our church. The choice really is never to grow or to plant. It's always to do both. These two things should just kind of naturally happen together. The power is in the word and. It's not in the tyranny of the or. It's just not a one or the other thing. It's something that we can all do. And I believe that all churches should attempt growth and all churches should attempt to reproduce themselves toward new congregations. As pastors, we should be reproducing ourselves in elders inside of our church who are capable of pastoring part of the congregation. But ultimately, we ought to see those people as the cutting edge of the plow to reach into the community and plant some new churches. There's little merit in size for size sake. Uh, There's nothing gained by keeping a church small. So while I talk about bivocational pastors and micro churches from time to time, Uh, This is not an argument for small over large. Benefit in both. I I mean, I look at guys in smaller communities and, you know, I've I've met a guy once who's pastoring 600 people in a town that that has 400 inhabitants. He's reaching the countryside all around. And I, I look at that guy and I think, you know, of all of the things that I've ever done in my life, that guy in terms of percentages is far more successful than I've ever dreamt of being. And so, The bottom line really is to let your church grow as big as it can. And I kind of want to emphasize the word let here. You know, I think we spend too much time trying to figure out how to force our church to grow. And Jesus said he's the one that's going to build the church. And so, you know, I kind of a long time ago figured out my job is to feed the flock and make sure that everybody's healthy. And 
and understanding that um, healthy sheep reproduce other sheep. If I can teach people to make disciples where they are, the church is just bound to grow. And I don't need to worry too much about that. What I really do need to focus on, or it just won't happen, is the whole concept of of reproduction at every level in the church. You know, I've written books about a disciple-making continuum that we work through the years. And this had to do with reproduction at every level. Every leader always had apprentices. They were always somebody ready to step into the gap there. And so this idea of succession management that the world uses really comes from the scriptures, making disciples who do what you do and, and, and do it well. And so as we seek to value multiplication as an intentional and natural outcome of the gospel, we're going to grow healthy, biblical, disciple-making churches that just pretty well reproduce themselves. What we really want to do is, as, as we seek to make disciples, as we seek to teach people, we just don't want to leave out to go. As we get into this a little bit further, another reason why we should multiply our congregation is that we've got a lot of room to grow and evangelize our country. By 200 AD, the church had grown from zero to about 1.8 million people out of a population of 250 million around the world. So that's like seven-tenths of one percent of the world. Pretty incredible growth. And it all came through multiplication. If you dig in and and do your homework, you're going to find that the church multiplied rapidly in those early days. 18 centuries later, about 33% of the people in the world call them Christians. That's good news. I mean, that's really wonderful news. On the other hand, it's really bad news in that two-thirds of the people on earth are still estranged from Jesus Christ. Christianity currently grows faster in Nepal than anywhere And I've been there five, six times, and it's all coming through church multiplication. I was in Mongolia in the year 2000 when just a handful of people were believers in Jesus Christ. A big church was a church of 80 people. Today you go to that country, almost 5% of the people are calling themselves Christians. And this really comes as a result of church multiplication. We've been forcing the issue of church multiplication in Mongolia for a couple decades, and it's paid off. Nigeria now boasts the highest rate of Christ followers per capita in the world. Africa, Asia, Latin America all see serious church growth in the macro sense, but it's all coming as a result of church multiplication. That's not really happening so much in the United States. In fact, we're a shrinking minority with a demand need to multiply. Between 1990 and 2006, the number of people born in the United States equaled the size of the church in 1990. The downside to this is that the church was almost exactly the same size in 2006 as it was in 1990. 16 years had gone by. Uh, Lots of huge churches had risen in that period of time, but there is no measurable growth to Christianity in America. What we've been doing obviously hasn't been working. Evangelical numbers are growing, but compared to the overall population, our slice of the pie is now smaller. Between 2007 and 2014, the evangelical segment of the United States population fell by nine-tenths of one percent. Now, that doesn't seem like a whole lot, but if you do nine-tenths of one percent shrinkage every seven years, you're in trouble. It's possible even for a church to grow rapidly while at a local level we're falling behind the population curve, that the population of our community is growing faster than the growth rate of our church. And so... 
More people are attending U.S. churches than ever before, but when measured against the larger population, we are a shrinking minority, and we need to stop measuring church growth and begin to measure cultural penetration. What are we doing to change the world? What are the percentage numbers? How many people in the community are finding Christ versus how many people in the community are being born in the hospitals? Church attendance doesn't always also translate into cultural lift. You know, we focus on evangelism while we neglect poverty, crime, and oppression. Millennials are turning against the church simply because uh, we're spending so much money on buildings and programs and not seeming to care about poor people. I know that your church probably cares about poor people, but the overall view of church in America isn't a real healthy one. We really need to be thinking about all of the things that Jesus called us to. But I, again, I'm going to wrap this thing up in a blanket of church multiplication. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's our calling. We've been asked to go out and set the captives free and we're not doing a real good job of that we're doing a good job of filling our pews and we need to take a different tack if we're going to change the world around us you know i was treated to a slideshow last night some people that i know just came back from doing mission work in turkey they're working with uh, refugees from isis atrocities that have gone on in syria uh, these people are kind of the forgotten people in turkey they're allowed into the country and they're slowly processed to get to go to Western nations. Uh, they're allowed to work, but nobody will hire them. Very much an oppressed people. And yet I saw just slide after slide after slide, picture after picture after picture, of uh, people reaching out in the love of Christ to this minority people in this culture. They've planted little pocket churches among them. Some of them aren't called churches because of political reasons, but they're, they're, they're bringing the grace of Jesus to where the people are and where they live. That can only happen as we multiply ourselves, take whatever form it'll take, and reach in the communities every way that we can. I've lived my life this way. I've always felt the burden that it's on me to reproduce myself and other people. It's on me to lead a church that can multiply itself. We planted our first daughter church, if you will, when we were at about 125. We were small. We kept on planting. Uh, by the time that I left that congregation, I was the 30th guy to leave that congregation to go out and plant a church. We'd grown to well over 2,000 people, but we planted 30 churches along the way. So you can do both. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.